Welcome to Millions of Screens, IndieWire's TV industry-focused podcast. I'm Deputy TV Editor and Critic Ben Travers, joined as always by TV Awards Editor Libby Hill, and sadly missing our leader, our voice, our self-appointed rube man, and IndieWire's creative producer, Leo Garcia. He's off this week. He's dead. <laughs> what if that's how we broke the news to our dear listeners? It was just like, <laughs> listen, he tried to go to Florida. He made a huge um... mistake. And he's not coming back. In his absence, on today's episode, uh, we'll be talking Emmys. We're going to talk who's hosting, who's going to be there, who won't, who should be. Yeah, it's our it's our annual nominations day edition of Millions of Screens. We're going to be dissecting this year's batch of nominees as best as our beleaguered brains can possibly muster. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest nude item. Oh, biggest nude items <laughs> of the week. Our biggest news items from the past week. Uh, the Television Academy scooped its own nominations by announcing this year's host as Cedric the Entertainer, as well as more plans for the primetime Emmy ceremony in September. Uh, Libby, what did you make yes, sir. of these early announcements. I think Cedric the Entertainer is a really good choice, mostly because he seems to be someone that if people, if they, people have an opinion on him, it's positive, generally. Like, I, I don't have any negative. I've never met anyone who has, like, a lot of negative takes on Cedric the Entertainer. It's a departure from, from hosts we've seen recently. I like it. I like that he doesn't have a late night presence. I, I like that it, it's that they're trying something different. Now, do I wish it was like Desus and Marrow? Of course I do. Uh, do I wish Desus and Marrow had gotten nominated today? Of course I do, uh, but I'm skipping ahead. Uh, ben, what, what, <laughs> what did you think of that news as it broke this week? Uh, I agree with you. I mean, I think Cedric the Entertainer wouldn't have been my first guess for who they would have hired. I honestly no. would have guessed Desus and Marrow probably before them. I think my, my first pick would have been Stephen Colbert, uh, just as a prediction, not as a preference, uh, just because typically they do skew toward late night hosts. It's pretty rare for them to go outside of that box, but uh, you know I'm excited because now we've got uh, at least a small percentage of a chance that Max Greenfield will make a cameo, and that would be so much fun. Uh, that would be, I know, and I know you're, make me happy. I know you love Max. I think it's exciting that it's going to stream on Paramount+. Plus. I think that's a step in the right direction. I think it's about time that we had some live streaming Emmys as an option for people because so many cord cutters out there have forgotten that you can just buy a TV antenna and see stuff on broadcast for free anyway. I don't know how many of those cord cutters have Paramount+, Plus, but you know, it can't hurt. So that's good. So Plus it's going to be available on Paramount Plus, but I am wondering if if there is somehow, if CBS will take this opportunity to somehow cross promote it, make it available so people can watch that way uh, or, you know, without being subscribers, whether it's a free trial, things like that. So we'll see. They did confirm, Libby, that it's going to be on demand after it's over as well. So like, that's got to have huge ratings. Like, you know, so many people are dying to just skip through the Emmys, all the, skip the commercials, see the speeches, skip the ones they don't care about. You can watch it however you want to watch it. You can set how long you're going to watch it. You can get only the highlights you want. It's like, what an experience. I mean, you're right. Uh, not everyone is on Twitter. The, that was the pre-Emmy nomination news, which is pretty impressive because we didn't have that much time before the Emmy nominations. 
this week. I was surprised that they announced that when they did. It's like they almost needed a little excuse to remind people that the Emmy nominations were coming. So they're like, okay, okay, okay. We're going to break the hosting news. That'll kind of tee up the fact that Tuesday morning nominations are coming. People might be a little more excited or at least, you know, prepared uh, for the fact that they do. Right. Um, And that leads us to our meet. The Emmy nominations have been announced. We've been talking about them for what feels like a few years now. And as usual, there were plenty of surprises. There were plenty of snubs. There was, uh, I mean, lots of expectations were met, especially when it came to The Crown and Ted Lasso. Libby, before we dive into our uh, mads, our glads, and our um, what the Fs, uh, what was your kind of big picture takeaway from the Emmy nominations this year? It feels like a theme that I talked about a little bit last year with the nominations is that the TV Academy is watching what they watch, which makes sense. That's 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 what they're doing. And then they're nominating the things that we, they watch and they like, and they're nominating them in every possible category across the board. Yes, it was a pandemic year, but we saw the top 12 shows, uh, all of the shows that received more than 10, 10 or more nominations take up 36.5% of all of the eligible nominations this year. Uh, There are various factors included in that, but the last two years, that is set much closer to around 30%. It's wild to me that that this continues happening because it feels like it is happening uh, at the exact wrong time. We talk all the time about peak TV. There's around 500 scripted shows uh, premiering every year, which doesn't even touch uh, the masked singer at all. There's so much TV and the idea that that the arbiters of TV quality are watching less and less of what's available leads to some real concerns about what we're doing here with the Emmys. Like, is there a way that we can revamp them to make them reflect television as it stands now and and how you would even go about doing that? I think about Ben a lot, and I didn't get to this in my story, but I think about the Peabody Awards a lot. For the uninitiated, the Peabody Awards have a very elite group of judges who it, they have to watch everything. And it is very time intensive, but, and then further beyond that, they all have to agree on something getting nominated. Like if there's a dissenter, it doesn't get nominated. Then, you know, things are narrowed down from there. Obviously this is not tenable for the Emmys, but I think it may be time to bring in people who are going to watch everything that's submitted as a starter group, like they do in some of the specialty categories. You know, you're bringing in a a group of experts, they are making their judgments, and then you send that group of nominations, that stripped down group of, of eligible shows out to the greater population, voting population. So they are working from sort of a fixed set, but the set is, is selected by people who have to watch the things that are that are submitted and, and and that feels like a step that's kind of missing with the tv academy right now and it shows yeah i have, I have a lot of i have a lot of empathy for tv academy members because you know most of them are are they're working industry professionals like they are spending time on their own shows they are spending time yeah. you know 16 hour days on set for you know the majority of of the year so 
how much time they have to to keep up with everything, you know, just like the rest of us, it's it's they're busy. But like you said, we've been in this peak TV era long enough where it feels like some changes have to be made simply because even taking like a small group of people, like critics who can agree on like a few top tier shows and say, listen, you've got to watch these. These are these are the best. These are the five. These are the 10. And even if you were just like, I'm going to, you know, just take those and make sure to include them as well as all of these popular shows, as well as the shows I'm already watching. Uh, I think we'd see an expansion in terms of what's being recognized. And one of the things that I wanted to point out, going back to kind of how you very smartly uh, framed this viewpoint of, of, you know, the, the kind of narrow perspective that voters can have, you know, 12 shows sounds like a lot of shows when you think about it in terms of of TV. It's like, I only do a top 10 list at the end of the year. And yeah, I add another 10 in the honorable mention section, try to get to as many more as, as we can do. Um, but when you think about it in terms of the Academy, there's like three major categories that a lot of the stuff falls into, at least at the primetime Emmys. It's uh, drama series, comedy series, and limited series. Uh, if you divide 12 of those by three, that's four in each category. So four shows dominate comedy out of eight nominees, four shows dominate drama out of eight nominees, and four shows dominate limited series out of five, which is, you know, much more acceptable. But that doesn't mean that they should control every other category out there. And that is such a small percentage of how many shows are competing. You, you have to look at all the other categories, the creative arts, you've got like animated shows that may only get one or two nominations. And that's one more show. Like there's so, so, so many shows that need to be watched and so many that need to be considered for these top categories. Uh, and so many more that need to be considered when you're in the specialty fields uh, to say 12, it really isn't many. Like that's, that's controlling way too much of the pie. And it leads to the exclusion of, of some really important, uh, really wonderful and really in need shows like shows that need this kind of recognition to kind of keep going so let's get into uh some of the okay. things that we were uh i guess let's start with the good stuff we should start with the positive energy and then we can just kind of crash from there libby what made you glad on on emmy morning what what were some of the happy things that popped up for you as as the nominations rolled across your desk uh, i didn't oversleep uh that was a big that was a huge boon for me. I was very, I talked to you last night. I was very concerned about that. Okay. This is this. I can't believe this is the one I'm picking because uh, it is, it is very bittersweet for me. I was so excited to see Hulu's Pen15 get nominated for comedy series. This is without a doubt, one of the best comedies airing on TV right now and arguably in, in recent years. I was terribly disappointed that it only got two other nominations. One, a well-deserved nomination in writing and another incredibly well-deserved uh, nomination in casting. Because if you've seen that show, you understand how important casting is. And, that, and that's, that's as much as I'll say on that. But to think that in this year of all years, when you know, we've, we've been speaking for some time about how open the comedy field was, how this really could be an opportunity to see some of our favorites break through, that Pen15 couldn't get further despite everyone I talked to within the industry really loving it. Like Cedric the Entertainer, I've yet to find someone who doesn't love Pen15, was disheartening, but it did get that comedy series nod and uh, it deserves nothing less. And if that's the happy news I'm starting with, you can imagine how the rest of this list is going to go. <laughs> 
it's the happiest thing you can think of off the bat is tinged with sadness it's just yeah. like oh no there's all this regret tied to this too wait wait till you find out how i blame ted lasso for this i mean um, i i know well i mean not this, that directly but like my mood today no i understand and i uh will keep viewers and listeners uh, in suspense for you to unveil that as I wax philosophic about the wonders that is City So Real, Nat Geo slash Hulu's wonderful docuseries that I'm going to be honest, Libby, I was absolutely terrified, <laughs> would not make the cut. Docuseries are very, very tricky to predict. Um, and they're very, very hard to get in. There's only five slots. There's obviously many, many, many documentary series out there these days. And yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> you've you've covered this before on this very podcast but so many of the ones that we've seen nominated and succeed in the past have been ones that you know they really caught the zeitgeist in a big way you know the last dance even friggin tiger king wild wild country making a murder like all of those kind cheer of, yeah cheer all of those big monumental docuseries you know those were the ones that you could say were blocks when you're going into nomination day and this year you know I didn't really feel like there were many of those and I definitely didn't feel like City So Real was one of them so the fact that the academy did make the time uh, that the documentary branch did pay attention to Steve James which you think would be a given but nothing is these days that absolutely warmed my heart I was so very very happy to see it among the five chosen for uh, best documentary series uh, big congratulations to that team it is absolutely an incredible, incredible show. And I know I talked about it last year in regard to everything going on in the world. And it was definitely timed to the election because it had a lot to say about, you know, what was going on in American politics, as well as what was going on in America in general, uh, with the protests and, and everything else. But those issues haven't gone away and they're not any less substantial than they are now. And the storytelling employed by the show uh, is just so easy to fall into. Like it is just, it is about people. And you can connect with those people in the show. So if you haven't watched it yet, please give it a chance. Uh, I'm very glad to have the Emmys as an excuse to remind people to do that yet again. I was so happy for you when I saw that, genuinely. Um, I know that makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But Ben, you want to know what makes me happier than anything on an incredibly regular basis, spite. Um, <laughs> I was just so excited to see as much as I love the show, as much as I love the creators, the writers, the directors, the, the, the stars, uh, specifically Gene Smart, it was so gratifying to me as an awards pundit to see Hacks breakthrough in that big way that I really suspected it would. 15 nominations, it was the second most nominated comedy series, which is so impressive. It would be if it wasn't for the fact that Ted Lasso got 20. It even outshone uh, Stablemate, The Flight Attendant, which, which had long been the runner-up favorite in when it came to comedy series uh, because of its success in um, the Winter Awards, which Hacks wasn't eligible for because it hadn't premiered yet. So it was great to see. And I'm very happy, if you'll remember, Ben, when I watched the first screeners for Hacks, I said to you, Ted Lasso might be in trouble. And while that's not necessarily true, it is nice to see that there is someone there to, to, to launch a challenge. And yeah, I know you had some, some very specific concerns about why Hacks would not be embraced that I would love for you to share 
them because I thought they were very accurate. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Oh, no. I mean, I don't know. I'm obviously not the, the right messenger for this take, but uh, I was very scared about hacks not because not because of anything that you know hbo max was doing or that critics were saying or that you know seemed to be the audience reaction like it seemed people were aware of it and were watching it and mostly liking it but i'd heard enough random kind of naysayers and kind of um i don't want to say unjustified because obviously everything is subjective our missing host leo garcia also wasn't the the biggest fan of this show that's Um, fair he was but it, wrong, but that's fair. He is often wrong, and uh, now we can say it without reproach. But my biggest fear when it came to hacks was just that there is a horrific misogyny underlying everything that happens in America, and that hatred of women applies and and comes up in the weirdest of ways. And if hacks had not been nominated as much as it was today, that's what I would have blamed. That would have been the only thing I could could have pointed to that would explain it for me because literally everything about this show is incredibly well done and meets all of the standards that Academy voters especially look for. So I was very happy to see that they, they responded. That was very encouraging. Yes. No, I, I, the reason I put you on the spot there is because I think it's totally valid. And, and this of all years, uh, strangely saw a lot of, let's say female centric shows see pretty good success. A lot of them are run by white men, but one step at a time, right? Am I right? Ben, what else made you happy? Got a takeaway you can get. Um, I'll knock out a few quick ones because uh, we we obviously have to get to the Mads because there's just so many of them. Uh, And we keep (sighs) hinting at it uh, with everything else we talk about. So I was very happy to see specifically Liza Richardson nominated again for music supervision for Lovecraft Country. Longtime listeners uh, know that I am a big fan of this music supervisor. She's a wonderful person and just a very unique talent in the field. So uh, to see her recognized for Lovecraft Country was kind of another cherry on top of that Sunday uh, because Lovecraft Country got a ton of nominations. And that was another one where it was a, a genre show. Uh, it was canceled, even though HBO wisely canceled it after voting had closed as to not you know, dissuade anyone from showing it some support. Um, but it got historic nominations for uh, its Black actors in all four categories of lead actor, lead actress, supporting actress, supporting actress, which has apparently never happened before. That's incredible. Yeah, that was a big relief, honestly, because each one of them was so deserving. Like if any of them had missed their category, it would have been in the mad section. We would have been very upset about it, even with the cancellation. Um, And as somebody who has been critical of that show, like I, I don't think it's a perfect show by any means, but I was very excited to see where it was going in the future. And the acting was just spot on. So anyway, uh, very happy for Eliza Eliza Richardson. Uh, I did not keep that short whatsoever. So I will just say that Conan getting in for Variety Talk series uh, was very encouraging in its final year. That was uh, a nice little note. It had been 10 years since his show had been nominated in the category or whatever that category used to be 10 years ago, Um, as well as uh, Jendi Tarkovsky's Primal getting nominated in Best Animated Program. Um, That was one that, (laughs) to be honest, I predicted from the very start, as soon as I put it in Animated Program, I kept it there and kept it there and kept it there. And then the night before nominations, everyone disagreed with me. So I was just like, all right, I'll take it out. And lo and behold, it made it in. Thank goodness. Way to go, TV Academy. Uh, I know Steve Green, the recommendation machine, is over the moon about that one as well. 
um, very well deserved, especially this year in animated program category that was seeing some turnover. Like there wasn't, Bojack was gone and um, a few, like Rick and Morty wasn't eligible. So there was an opportunity for some new stuff to get in and Primal really deserved it. I do have to say I was in that same place uh, last night. I was looking at my animated nominees and I was like, it's Primal. Like I know it's Primal and I should put Primal in because these two that I'm wondering about don't make sense, even though one of those other two uh, was the South Park special, which did make it in. So I was wrong on a number of levels, but I did not put Primal into my nominations and it was good to see it. It's nice to see diversification um, of, of kind of form and subject in that category and, and Primal definitely falls into that category. I would absolutely agree. I'd agree with all of your things and yep, Conan got nominated too and that's fine. Um, <laughs> Again, to, to keep the theme going, Conan being nominated at the expense of Full Frontal with Sam B getting left out was quite well, a... Thesis and Marrow. And yeah, and Thesis and Marrow. Uh, yeah, I, as I mentioned in the snubs piece, you could, you could have a full category of really exciting nominees based on the people that were left out. Late Night with Seth Meyers, again, kind of quite crack that category. And, and you know, those three shows alone are, are top three, four for me for late night. So right. Libby, parting shots of, of Glads before we move on to Mads. You know what? I'll hail Handmaid's Tale. It is a divisive show. It sure is. But boy, it was doing something this season and the Academy responded. It was a return to form. It got 21 nominations for season four, which I would say is the most it's ever gotten, but it turns out it actually got 21 nominations for season three, which was split between two years. The Academy loves this show. Audiences love this show. Hulu loves this show. This show's never going to end. So while we're still in the good days, I will celebrate it. If only because drama series is quickly turning into something that might look like an actual race after so many months spent thinking that the crown was the be all end all. Now the crown is probably going to end up successful regardless, but seeing the Mandalorian in there with, with 24 nominations, not my favorite thing, but definitely up from its first season, seeing the handmaid's tale in there. Like this is, this is, this is something, this is not something where like comedy series where one show is good is running away with the lion's share of nominations here and i was happy to see it ben you take last the last happy thought of the morning all right and before i do that i i'm just gonna come out now and say i do plan on spending the next two plus months encouraging people to maybe vote for not the crown I don't, I don't, I think I'm going to try to lean into that position. You're going to push because... Mandalorian? I think I am. I think I am. What the fuck did you just say to me? I think I, I think I would rather see Timothy Oliphant's show win. That's not Timothy Oliphant. That is not, don't ever say that again. That is it was not in the premiere. Timothy Oliphant's show. That's not, premiere. that's, and nothing else. Yeah, but he did such a good job. Okay, that episode was still boring and he's I'll, one of the most beautiful men in the world. That's a great point. And I'm going to have to work on a position that can actually justify uh, how I stand and, and what I'm choosing to believe. For now, let me just say that one, very glad to see the boys nominated for Best Drama Series. Um, I really didn't think that the TV Academy had it in them to nominate a an extremely bloody, violent superhero satire. Like all of those things in drama series just don't, add up to me as like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to get in. Um, but I guess the figuratively bloody satire succession maybe set the table for this somehow. I don't know. I'll, I'll 
think up a think piece for that later on. But the thing that I'm most glad about, honestly, the biggest relief in a morning that had a lot of mads as we're about to get into was that Barry Jenkins was nominated for Best Director for the Underground Railroad. That show did not get nearly enough support, which we're about to get into. Had he been snubbed, I think I would have struggled to say anything positive about the Emmys this year, even though all of the things that just happened still happened. They're all worth being happy about, but it would have been hard to see past Barry Jenkins not getting nominated, just as it is hard to see past the fact that none of the Underground Railroad's cast members were nominated. Let's get into the Mads. Uh, That's my number one. Uh, There's many more right behind it. Libby, please get us started. I I think that's a shared feeling. Tuso, Madhu, getting snubbed in lead actress in a limited series is one of the most outrageous things I've seen in quite some time. Her performance was next level. To hear her speak about what she was actively achieving in each of those scenes was amazing. Like, I don't understand what went wrong here. And I have a theory, but it's not a very nice theory. And I probably shouldn't say it on the podcast, but I'll say it. I don't think they watched Underground Railroad. I don't think enough people watched it. I don't think they necessarily watched the entire thing. And I get it. That first episode is excruciating, but it's gorgeous and it's meaningful. And and it is accomplishment and an accomplishment on the level that we haven't seen on TV in, well, I mean, Watchmen was last year, but you know what I mean? I don't understand. Like it's it's to the point where I think I've I've gone beyond mad a little bit and just got to I don't know I don't know what they wanted. They didn't want this apparently. And don't even get me started on Joel Edgerton. Ben, oh. I'm I'm gonna let you jump in on that. <laughs> don't get me started either, Libby. Uh, all of my dreams of phase two interviews and and features and profiles around. I told uh, you. One of my favorite people in entertainment uh, have been Bashed. shot down very This is harshly. Pam all over again. I thought we'd learned. I, you would think you would think we'd learn and we'd stop getting as invested as the time we're required to spend invites. But here we are. To move on to an equally upsetting exclusion, the good Lord Bird getting shut out of the Emmys. Mainly, oh, well. No, not shut out. That's what's so say, insulting. Shouldn't say shut out. It would be less insulting if it was shut out, I think, because then you could just be like, oh, well, they didn't see it. No, apparently they did. Well, whoever votes for main title design saw The Good Lord Bird. They spent their time wisely with the screeners, or at least the titles of the screeners. I don't know if they have to watch the whole episode or if they just watch that part of it. I would think they'd need the whole series for context. The fact that The Good Lord Bird didn't make limited series was something that I knew I'd be upset about. But at least I expected because of the competition and because, as we talked about, the limited number of slots in the limited series category. But Ethan Hawke, he was supposed to win. Like, this was supposed to be his category. And considering that he's not only an actor in the show, that he's the creator, credited co-creator, writer, um, executive producer, that he was a big force, if not the force, in getting this thing made at Showtime, and that they still chose not to recognize him in any way, shape or form is extremely upsetting and just goes to show another thing to me where it's like, the worry is that people aren't watching it because it's once you've seen it, it's very hard to even understand how you wouldn't vote for it. Hawk's performance in particular is something where 
it's so he's so loud he's just so ferocious that it's like actors love that shit they eat that shit up like that's the thing that they they usually are you know uh, drawn to and obsess over and you know the subtle acting is what gets ignored and you know he did every facet of it in the show he had time to cover all of the terrain that he could for this character and he nailed every part of it and the fact that you know, he didn't get in is just kind of mind-blowing to me. Again, I try to steer these conversations toward the positive in that this is just another reminder. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it too. You will discover something that's wonderful. Uh, the Emmys snubbing it is just giving us an opportunity to talk about it again, which is nice. It would be nicer if uh, they had nominated it and that gave us an opportunity to talk about it. But here we are. Well, Ben, if they nominated it, how would they have nominated Ewan McGregor from Halston? <laughs> Oh, great points all no, around, Libby. Not going to take that? Not going to take that bait? That's fair. That's fair. You're nicer than I am. Halston is not what I'm most upset about in those categories. Oh, I know. Enough. Maybe that's an entire podcast episode, though, because that is an issue that needs digging into and, and is a larger problem with the Academy. Sorry, Hamilton fans. Let me do a couple snubs. Couples Therapy and P-Valley, two of my favorite shows in the last season. One is a non-scripted reality series and and another is one of the best drama series on television and neither of them were nominated for any awards uh despite the phenomenal production values on honestly both it blows my mind and you know ben they have something in common and actually they have something in common with the good lord bird too don't they what could that be what could that be showtime what is the Emmy's problem with Showtime? Technically, Except P Valley's on stars. stars but what is the Emmy's problem with show with networks that start with S? <laughs> I mean, it, it's an interesting theory or an interesting question mark to me because of the evolution of it. We've known for a while that the Emmys have a problem with stars programming. They they that is something that they definitely don't put at the top of their queue for whatever reason. Um, and stars has done racism. It, yeah, I mean saying the the quiet part out loud um i don't care i'm gonna say it like i just i would also note that that stars has done some experimental stuff or something that's a little more niche like i didn't expect the girlfriend experience to get nominated i think even if everybody had watched it i don't know if it would have gotten nominated it's just not going to be everybody's cup of tea so that kind of explains away some of it but anyway stars this has been happening for a while showtime look at william h macy getting nominated this year like he was not expected to get into the best comedy actor category. He beat out national treasure, Ted Danson, which is just appalling to me, but they nominated him. I think this is his sixth time getting in. And that speaks to like in the past, they've been watching some of Showtime's programming. They, they really liked episodes with Matt LeBlanc. I think the affair got a drama series nomination at one point. Like there's, there's certain things that Showtime has been able to pump out there and it's done very, very well. But over the last couple of years it seems like you know some of their bigger ticket programming hasn't hit as hard and to me that speaks more to the to the fact that showtime hasn't kept up with the streaming wars showtime has a streaming service but they're not part of the major streaming service that cbs viacom or viacom cbs is leaning on in paramount plus they're not bundled together in any sort of way there's not like a, a huge incentive for people to be able to catch up with that and while yes, screeners are available to everybody in the TV Academy, you know, uh, for all of these shows, so network bias shouldn't exist. It does come back to, 
like you said, Libby, what are people watching on their own time? What are they aware of? They're not necessarily going to make time for everything. So they're going to watch the stuff that's easy. And it may very well be much easier to queue up something on Netflix, to queue up something on Hulu, to queue up something on HBO Max than it is to, you know, dig out your Showtime, you know, complimentary password or whatever it is, or go into the TV Academy site and, you know, go through to find everything. Because, uh, you know, couples therapy is deeply upsetting that it didn't get in. The good Lord bird is deeply upsetting that it didn't get in, but that's not all. I mean, your honor is a Brian Cranston show. Like Brian Cranston was in it. He's Emmy like fodder. Like he's the guy who's supposed to just kind of guarantee at least his own nomination. That didn't get anything. Uh, the Comey rule, which Showtime spent a lot of tra time trying to tell us was a huge hit for them. And it very well may have been didn't translate to Emmy nominations, even for Brendan Gleeson playing Donald Trump, which is just such an outlandish idea that again, well, actors should jump toward it. They did At that same time, I think there's a, on that front, like why would you want to support anything that even tangentially touched that third rail? Well, um, if you want to make that argument, then I think there's a nice counter because Jeff Daniels, uh, who a lot of people didn't think should be nominated for the newsroom because they didn't like the newsroom and they didn't want to be involved in that. They didn't want to step into that territory. They still like him enough to get him in there. He was still had HBO's backing. He had that support within the TV Academy for whatever reason, the Showtime stuff isn't resonating in the same way. Not now, not like it had been. And it showed this year. Jeff Daniels is uh, Brian Cranston, IRL. <laughs> you remember Godless? Yeah, that was great. You thank this horse. That was very, great. that was a wonderful speech. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I, I think what you're, what you're saying is 100% true. I think that the, not necessarily a bias, but a lack of awareness, a lack of engagement with some of these premium cable networks uh, that aren't being included in the big streaming push, it's starting to show up at the Emmys. Well, to say nothing of like things like Peacock, some of those up and comers, those uh, smaller streamers out there. Yeah, the upstarts are their own story. They've got their own well, things yeah. they got to tackle and, you know, make their headway in and, and find well, sure the show and the programming and the, and like, you know, maybe if nominations had happened after the Olympics, Peacock would have fared better because people would have been more aware of it. Who knows how that's going to play out. Um, but in terms of kind of the legacy brands that at one point at least were, you know, being pitched and favorably seen by Academy members, some of them are starting to shrink. And as to why, again, I just go back to your reasoning of it's not the go-to that they're watching on their own time. It's not the thing that they're, that they've got right at, you know, the ready to, to tune in each week. And listen, uh, we don't even have time to get into FX's 13 nominations. Wow. I don't know what's happening there, but it, it is very concerning. And I don't know how much or if how much or if any of it has to do with the Disney merger. Last one. This is super petty and I'm really sorry, but like Emily in Paris, what the fuck? I mean, maybe it should be in what the fuck, but actually it's in mad because Emily in Paris got nominated for comedy series. Uh, it had one other nomination. I'm not even looking, but I'm going to assume it's in costumes. Let's go to the tape. What's it say? No, no production design. Sure. Uh, I don't, like, I don't know what to say. Uh, it, it's, it's Mythic Quest got two nominations, not including comedy series. Uh, one for narration and another for something I don't even remember, but I just, I don't Sound. know what they're watching i don't know how this happened but you do you've explained I mean, this like this is the this is a perfect tie-in for our third column of of yeah. emmy reactions of what the fox because cobra kai was another 
you know, how the heck did this end up getting nominated? And to be fair, some people did predict it. And I think that those predictions, as well as in reality, when it got nominated, are based in the idea that these are shows that people are watching. Like Netflix does have an inherent advantage in the sense that they're a utility. Everybody knows how to use them. It's very, very easy to log in and watch everything on Netflix if you know what you're looking for or if it's popular enough that it's just sitting right there waiting for you. According to their own numbers, according to what they're telling us, Cobra Kai and Emily and Perry, as we're supposed to. I won't. I will we have to not. For Leo's sake, as he predicted last week and then cut it from the episode because he just felt too modest about it, he would have been right. Um, for those shows, I think it's just because they were seen. People watched them. They maybe they liked them. They they must have liked them if they voted for them. But I think that's what it comes down to when you're when you're just checking things off a ballot and there's no limit to how many you list. If you liked it and you've seen it, that's going to put it on there. If you haven't you seen it, the name of it, you don't do it. Right. So like, I think that's all it took with this. Uh, everybody votes for comedy series. So it's not, you know, as niche as some of the other subcategories and the departments within the Emmys where you're only voting for that specific category or that specific field. I think we know why it got in. It's just so disheartening because there were so many obvious better options if you just watched more TV. I don't know why we expect the TV Academy to watch TV, but anyway, you kind of pulled in my first what the fuck. Sorry. But you are absolutely correct. It's not actually a what the fuck. It's a it's a it's a miscategorization. We know exactly why the fuck. It just blows my mind that Cobra Kai is in there. Yeah, um, it can still be a what the fuck just because it doesn't like it shouldn't happen. Like it just doesn't really make sense compared to some of the other op- options out there. So many opportunities in the comedy categories, and they just took the weirdest route to the finish line as though they didn't really want the eight nominees. They would have been happy with six, which maybe they should have had. Give us two more nominations in limited series. And maybe, there should be a certain amount of nominations available in the series categories and they can distribute. No, then comedy series would never get anything nominated. Anyway, the system is broken and I don't understand <laughs> it and I don't like it. And I don't begrudge all of the Cobra Kai fans out there a little happiness. A very little happiness with their Ralph Macchio nomination as well. Okay. And right. um, last one, our final what the fuck. And then we've got to move on and we'll break all of this down all over again in the coming weeks as we have okay. to. But Libby, in your wildest dreams, heading into Tuesday morning, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to say WandaVision does get nominated for mm-hmm. limited series. How many, what's your highest guess for the total nominations it would get? If I'm going to try and logic this out, Mandalorian got 14 nominations last year, largely on the back of technical merits, would you say? Yeah. Okay. So technical merits, let's give it one more nomination for Elizabeth Olsen. And then, yeah, let's say Paul Bettany gets in because everything is bad. Uh, 16 nominations. That's the ceiling. That's the ceiling on WandaVision. Absolutely hardcore. I'd put money on it then. All right. Well, you undersold it. It got 23. Explain that away. I can't, Ben. That's why it's in this category. I liked WandaVision until I thought about it. (laughs) Like, I liked WandaVision until I watched all of it. I liked WandaVision until I realized it's not a television show. And until I realized that every single Marvel show that came after it was going to be the same thing. I love Elizabeth Olsen. Paul Bettany's fine. I adore Catherine Hahn. Like, you know that, Ben. But I don't know what the hell happened there. This is why 
<laughs> limited series should not be open to everyone's vote because it can't just be populism. It can't, it can't, we can't do this. Yeah, it's a lot easier to watch WandaVision than it is to watch things like Underground Railroad or Small Axe. And I get that we were in a pandemic and we wanted something sort of sugar-coated that was gonna go down easy, but I don't understand how this happened in such a competitive limited series year. I mean, again, a lot of it does come back to just the, the unfortunate part of reality and that we all have a limited amount of time and people in the TV Academy uh, may have even more limits or harder limits on how much they're able to watch than uh, the rest of us in the industry. But yeah, I, I it definitely exceeded what I expected. I'd long predicted that it would get into limited series based on that kind of populism front. The acting nominations were kind of that ringing endorsement that you just didn't know if it was coming or not. And uh, I think Elizabeth Olsen, once she got in, you were kind of like the floodgates are going to open up here um, because that was a very competitive category. That was just, that was one of those categories where if she didn't get in, you could easily kind of point to, well, maybe it's superhero bias. Maybe they're not ready for Marvel stuff yet. Uh, but also there's just a lot of people in this category. There's just a lot of really good actors, AKA Tuso from Underground Railroad, but she did. She got in. Paul Bettany got in. Catherine got in. It wasn't. It wasn't Olson. It was Bettany. When Bettany got in, it was over. Like when Bettany got in and Edgerton was out. Again, it's not like I begrudge anyone anything on this, but I absolutely do. Like that's a lie. I, I begrudge a lot of you a lot of things on this. I don't know what people saw, and it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean the fact that it got three writing nominations is pretty astounding to me. Um, well, I will say a lot of limited series play what is usually a very smart game, but not always, which is the only submit one script because that's just to make sure you aren't competing against yourself. But I think this year, what happened is you have uh, the Queen's Gambit, which is submitting the entire thing because it's all written by Scott Frank. And uh, did you have one other thing doing that? I'm trying to remember what the writing was. Um, well, I think the Underground Railroad did that. I think they only submitted Well, I one. know that I, they, that's what I was going to, which is how we ended up not having. So I May Destroy You, all written by Michaela Cole. Mara Town, all written by Brad Inglesby. So when you have Underground Railroad choosing one episode to submit, and that episode is not a typical episode of the show necessarily, is kind of an, an aberration, uh, but not in the way that one of the episodes was that I think could have worked that way, maybe. That's how you miss. And that's how WandaVision, which I think submitted a crap ton of episodes, ends up taking up half of the limited series writing spots. And now the questions start to turn as we know the field. Now we wonder who will come out as the winners. So with, with WandaVision, those 23 nods, uh, we're going to have to examine that race all over again. I got to tell you, Ben, I blame Ted Lasso. Right. That's right. We because, needed to come through on that tease. Because I'm not a positive person. I don't believe good things can happen. I don't believe there can be widespread success for good things that deserve it. But you know what? I watched Ted Lasso so much during the pandemic. I thought maybe, maybe this can be the perfect year where everything is deserving and nothing hurts and it'll all be okay in the end. And that was a lie. Jason Sudeikis lied to me. Uh, Apple TV plus lied to me with their believe signs. And now I'm upset. And yeah, I think the only natural thing there is to, 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 to blame Ted Lasso for my feelings and also Hamilton, because that's not a movie. 
Actually, I mean, it didn't even say it was a movie. It just somehow qualified all those actors in uh, categories designed for limited series, anthology series, or TV movies without being eligible as a program in any of those. So yeah, uh, I as well blame that, but we will dig into that problem on a later date. Let's move on to our fourth phase for bringing it back. Wakeboarding with Ann Dowd has returned. And the reason it's returned, as you may suspect, is one more piece of pretty good news that came out of the Emmys. Yes, Ann Dowd received her fourth Emmy nomination in as many years, this time for The Handmaid's Tale. She's been previously nominated for The Handmaid's Tale, as well as a little show that we like to call The Leftovers. Uh, (laughs) She had this to say about her nomination. It was such a privilege to come to know Aunt Lydia this season as she continues to evolve. I'm deeply honored and grateful to be nominated in the company of my beautiful colleagues, Thank you. Very simple, uh, very to the point, very heartfelt, Mm -hmm. absolutely classy. I'm guessing that she did immediately either, actually, she probably had already spoken to Justin Thoreau uh, before she issued that statement. Uh, Maybe they're out in the lake together right now, having a good old time. Hard to say, hard to say. Almost certainly. uh, We here at Millions of Screens issue our sincerest congratulations to Ann Dowd, Uh, hopefully, maybe, who knows, she'll even get on the podcast one of these days. Fingers crossed. Bring her on with Lizzie. Have her co-host the old leftovers pod. Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about her TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brideson. Our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is, well, that's to be determined. Apply now. Uh, Maybe you. You you can find us on Twitter at a million screens, uh, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and maybe we'll mention your critiques and take your notes on the podcast. Uh, I forgot to do our classical outro no, thing. Let's just uh, millions of screens endorses no. City So Real and And Out. Uh, those are the only things that bring us joy. We cannot endorse Ted Lasso at this time, even though next week, check back, we'll be back on board. Um, this has been Libby, desperately missing Leo, and reminding you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>